Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Public Safety Now on Hexagon Radio. I'm your host, John Whitehead, Vice President of Sales for U.S. Public Safety here at Hexagon Safety and Infrastructure Division. We've had a lot of conversations uh, with some great organizations uh, throughout the U.S. and actually throughout the globe here over the last few weeks. Uh, and as, as you can imagine, the conversation is all around Corona. It's all around the COVID pandemic. And... We've got some great guests here today that's doing some pretty innovative ideas. They're, they're being proactive and, and reactive all at the same time, uh, in how they're handling it. So I'd like to welcome my guests and have them introduce themselves. I've got Renee Gordon, uh, director at the city of Alexandria, Virginia, and I got Bob Bloom, uh, also with Alexandria as the public safety sys admin. Thank you for having us. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Renee? Just tell us a little bit about it, you know, maybe a little bit of your background in public safety and uh, how you got to the director position. Uh, like you said, my name is Renee Gordon. Um, I'm a former Prince George's County police officer. I um, I was in the city of Baltimore. I was at the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority and uh, landed here in Alexandria, one of the greatest cities in the country. Um, and we pre-planned. Uh, we knew some of this was coming down the pipe um, early on, and we started planning for it uh, probably seven weeks before most um, most people did. Very nice. Well, that's uh, that that gave you guys a little bit of time to kind of adjust and, and kind of put a plan in place just in case. And it's in you know from the from the looks of it all around the the globe, it uh, that pre planning came in handy for sure. Bob, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Bob Bloom. I've been uh, in the industry for about 30 years now. I started in a small center in Lycoming County, Pennsylvania. From there, I moved to uh, Baltimore City, Maryland. From there, I worked for two vendors. And then from there, I landed at the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority. And for the last several years, I've been at the city of Alexandria, which is one of the great cities in America. Nice. Yeah. Glad to see the, uh, the shout out for Alexandria. That's, uh, that's always a good thing. You know, it, it's great talking to you both. Um, you know, I love talking to people that, that are just, that been in the industry for a long time. You guys have probably got a lot of war stories and kind of been there, done that. You know, this, this COVID pandemic is an interesting case that's going on right now because, you know, as we're talking to agencies and organizations all throughout the world, it's been very interesting to see how they're how they're reacting and some of the ideas that that they're putting into place. We've talked numerous times here how you know the the public safety as we know it and and communication centers in particular uh, new new ways and new techniques and and, and a change is really going to happen because of this pandemic. And you guys have done some really cool stuff. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you guys are reacting to this? Sure. We started with uh, our coop plan. And our coup plan had a, a pandemic portion to it, which we probably thought we'd never going to use. Um, I know when we were building it, I was like, okay, all right, sure. Um, but it hit us, and we were ready, and uh, we implemented it. And it had uh, three phases. Our first phase, um, our key target areas were the staffing shortages due to infection or quarantine, changes in swings and call types and volumes, social distancing challenges, and the utilization of our NextJet 911 and our IP-based technologies um, that we could spread staff between home and multiple locations. And we also added, um, when we got to Phase 3, the utilization of the 14-day voluntary isolation teams. And as we moved through the, the phases, um, it got more intense, and we started doing more. For example, our 311 staff, we moved them out of the center into a secondary location, 
And when we got to phase three, we actually moved all of them home. So let's let's break down some of these phases. It sounds like you guys uh, really really put them into to separate buckets, if you will, and and really started looking at these and zooming in as far as what you would need to do. So let's talk a little bit about phase one. We'll just start at the top, right? So you talked about uh, staffing shortages due to infection and quarantine, which is something I think that we're all dealing with, and and then also the social distancing and and putting that information in. So can let, let's talk a little bit about phase one and how that came to be. So phase one um, came to be because of the social distancing. We really wanted to make sure that they had enough space in between them that they could function without having a mask on. Mm -hmm. So we separated them between the primary center and the backup center. We also at that time started thinking about what if one person got infected? Would that mean that we would have to quarantine people? Would that mean we would all quarantine together? So we developed an isolation team um, that would be volunteers only and then go in to one of the centers. The, the primary center has the most of what we would need. We needed um, a kitchen. We needed a shower. We needed places to sleep. And we also needed food. We needed to be able to wash our clothes. So, so those are some of the things that we thought about um, before we would even think about getting to phase three, where we would put the isolation team in place. So, so the isolation team, uh, Bob and I talked about this a little bit last week. So this was voluntary, uh, and you ask your you ask your your workers there if they would go into isolation for is it a fourteen day run? Do I have that right? Yes. So they're locked in for fourteen days at the site. Yes. Interesting. And to your point, they've got kitchen, they've got showers, they've got all of this information there. So, so it's, you know, staff goes in, doors are closed, and those personnel then are there for a two week, 14 day run. How's that working out? So I was in there with them because I couldn't ask them to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And, um, it was, it was better than I thought, but at day <laughs> 10, it was time to go home. Yeah. And so um, what we learned from that is that um, if we could plan for the next isolation team to come in at the 10-day point and relieve that team, it would be much better. Because once we got past day 10, we were like, oh, my God, I want to go home. So it's great to look at a calendar and say 14 is a nice round number. It means two full weeks. It gets us across, you know, two two full work weeks even. But what you're saying here is what the lesson learned there pretty quickly was uh, at day 10, you seem to be pushing the limits of what people could be locked into uh, one building altogether. In. Yeah, and we made sure that we had things like um, people would have their separate quarters. So we took offices and um, and made those separate quarters for people. Um, we made sure that we came to, together and had dinner together all the time. Um, we, we just built a team around, um, you know, cleaning. It, it worked out to be pretty good because everyone fell in line. Everyone pitched in, but I was the biggest baby. At day 10, I was like, I want to go home. <laughs> well, I can imagine it's, it, you know, it, there's something to be said, even if you've got a bunk and you've got, uh, you know, you've got a nice facility, there's something to be said for just getting out and getting back to your own home, I can imagine. So is that still going? Do you, have, do you still have an isolation team right now in the work? Yes, we do. We have the second team in there now. 
some of them are, um, well, most of them, they're doing 10 days. We, we wouldn't let them go past 10 days. So you made the adjustment to go to 10 days and then go in. So I guess, Bob, you know, being the sysadmin, how about from your side? Did you have to, you have technical expertise in there with them? Or if there's a problem, do you have to go in? Does outside people, are they able to come in? No, we're not allowed to go in unless there's a serious emergency because um, it's going to break the isolation. But we were, we got lucky on the first one. We had a, a supervisor that was pretty tech savvy. We were able to talk through just about anything. And by only having a certain number in there, we had a lot of empty positions. So if something did happen, they could just go to another position. Very interesting. And that keeps that, that team segregated from any potential infection to where you know going in if they've been um, – you know, if they're cleared to start their 10-day run, and we'll, we'll we'll quickly transition it to a 10-day run, if they're cleared to go into their 10-day run, then that means you've got at least personnel that are qualified that can handle anything thrown at them, at least for those 10 days. And now at the end of this 10 days, what are you doing? So, like, the next one's going to be coming in. So the third group will come in here at the end of this next 10-day run. Do they have several day quarantine prior to going in so that the, so that you're not bringing in anything that you're not aware of? No, and that was um that was one of the things we thought a lot about. So team number one will go back in for 10 days now. Um, and the rule was when we left that you would just go home and then stay at home until it was time to come back. We were so grateful just to be able to go home. It was, you know, it was fine. But in, in this area, the National Capital Region now, we're starting to see that uptick. So we really don't want people out in, in the community. We want them to, you know, just go home and just come back to work. Very interesting. It's a, uh, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a cool thing to be able to hear different ways of doing our job, right? I mean, we're all used to, uh, going on our cruise. You know, when I was at the comm center, my crew was like a team. I mean, we were like a family. Uh, we've said on, on other recordings that, you know, you get sometimes closer with the with your crew that you do with 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 your own family at home sometimes as far as you know communication and conversations that go. And you know that those people got your back to have those people all put into uh, a central location for 10 days, giving them all of the information and all the uh, the details that they need to be able to work for 10 days. That that is a very interesting way of segregating out your team and ensuring that you've got proper coverage. Yeah, and, and as the director, I, I really didn't have to get on the radio or take calls, and, and I recognized that. So I was the trash dumper. I cooked them dinner, and they, you know, they had to eat what I cooked, whether they liked it or not. So, I mean, we did. We had a good time. We got close, and um, it, it was a great experience. That is, uh, that, that is, that is very interesting. So then the second part of your, uh, of your plan, uh, was moving other personnel. So, you know, you talked a little bit about segregating from the, the primary center, backup center. So, okay, you got a little bit of distancing there. We've already talked about, uh, the, the, the team that was isolated, but then your phase two actually moved other staff members outside of the floor as well, right? Yes. And Bob, I think you just set that up today. So what we, what we discovered too was, in order to have that six-foot distance and not have to dispatch with a mask on, we wanted to create a different place where we could spread them out even more. And, Bob, I'll let you talk about that. That's the uh, third location for dispatchers. Well, two police dispatchers, two fire dispatchers, and a call taker. 
and a third location um, that's getting ready to be occupied. I was just there this morning getting it set up. And that'll be our third location. So we'll have the primary center, the backup center, and this third location, as well as the call takers we have working from home, as well as the 311 people all working from home, as well as all our administrative staff and the IT staff working from home. So we've got them really spread out. So if somebody does get sick somewhere and there is some exposure, um, we're not losing the whole team, and therefore we don't lose our uh, ability to serve the public. You know, you mentioned it, uh, working from home, and it's something in the private sector that, that's becoming normal now. I mean, that, you know, having a home office, working remote, whatever, whatever little spin you want to put on it is something I think that the private sector is used to, uh, in certain areas. Um, but working from home in emergency services is like, I mean, this is new, and this is something that that is that a lot of people are looking into. A lot of people have done. A lot of agencies, I should say, have are are trying right now. Uh, someone told me uh, just a couple of weeks ago, right? Out of all the times in history for this type of pandemic to hit, what a great time it is right now with the technologies that we have. I mean, so now you've got your IP radios, your you know your your IP telephony. Uh, the ability to take software, CAD, those types of things, and bring that out to someone's house is interesting. How are you guys, and you're saying you're rolling that out now, how are, how did you guys kind of prepare for this as a, from a technology point of view to be able to give someone a, a home office, if you will, that they can do their job? It's, uh, it's interesting. It really is. Um, of all the challenges that you meet to do that, Renee just said, I want them home. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the directive was set. <laughs> that's correct. We'll get them home and let them be functional. Um, the, the CAD, we set those up in workstations um, that remote back into the comm center, into an actual CAD workstation. That worked pretty well. We didn't have too many problems with that. We used, uh, I'll use a vendor name, we used FirstNet uh, wireless Internet routers so that if anything happened in the community and we lost our Internet capabilities, we'd still have availability of being our first net. Mm-hmm. That worked out pretty good. The phones, we've got the PSAPs in a box. Um, I never thought we'd ever use them outside of a room someplace in the city, you know, a backup site or something. Um, that actually worked out quite well. We had some challenges we had to work out. One of them was in order to get – um, the any alley information correctly into our CAD. We had to each assign them each a uh, workstation, and then you had to backtrack and assign the, the coding off of the box to make that work, and there were some other things. But the phone thing was what really flabbergasted me, that we could actually take a 911 call in a, a, a box phone in somebody's house. That just... But if you think about it, 30 years ago, when we first started making these comm centers, Grandma had the fire phone in her house, and so did the yep. fire chief, and she had the box she pulled to set off the siren, and somebody would run and write it on the chalkboard. Um, so that's where we started. So we're kind of back to our roots. We don't know it, but we are. Yeah, it all comes back full circle because uh, I I am also old enough to remember uh, the fire phone, right, and, and being at my grandparents' house. Uh, my grandpa was a fire chief, and, you know, all of a sudden the phone had a distinctive ring, and it was just like a, a quick three ring, I think, or two ring back to back. Um, 
and he picked it up, and then there was someone on the other end, a dispatcher, we'll call him now is what it was, uh, basically giving him the just repeating the information over and over as people just picked up this this phone. He'd write down the information on a little notepad, and then off he'd take off and go. And it was, uh, to your point, I mean, here we are, right? That those are people that are that are out of their house getting their information, and uh, we we've come full circle with technology. You mentioned FirstNet; it's something that has been, I'll say, slowly, but but yet kind of quickly, I guess. That's <laughs> that's being uh, as neutral as I can be. FirstNet's rolling out all across the U.S., and I think there's some agencies out there that have. I don't want to say struggled, but have been trying to figure out, you know, how do we how do we put this in? How do we implement this? What type of uh, what type of money is this going to cost? But in a situation like we're in right now, it sounds like the first net uh, really helped you guys out and getting getting that connectivity all across the area. Yeah, it did. It, uh, it was very helpful. And I don't have to worry about as an IT person that if we get major issues going on here and, and we use up all the uh, bandwidth on the wireless phones uh, we can still have connectivity back to our center and back to our phone servers because that's what's key to make all this work if we don't mm-hmm. have a connection then we're, we're dead in the water um, so that that gives us that makes me sleep better at night yeah no that 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 comes in handy that's for sure and you know you talked about the peace app in a box being able to pull those phones out into locations i mean i've heard uh, some items agencies across the country are doing things like looking at hotel conference rooms or looking at hotel rooms you know right now you've got a lot of hotels a lot of open area that's not being utilized by the public um for for obvious reasons uh, and being able to set up command post or, or whatever you're going to call them, you know, backup or dispatch centers all around the region is something I think that others are also looking at. And it sounds like that PSAP in a box allows you to pull that telephony out and have that where needed. It might be interesting, and I'll be so bold to say, to see how will the feds uh, react to this from a CGIS point of view. If you've got, um, you know, what, what, what you call PSAP in a box, and you can actually put them in, uh, at different locations and still keep the same level of service, you know, that might be a conversation for, you know, uh, post-COVID where we can sit there and look and, and talk about, you know, what are some changes that are needed in the industry and is this something that they would provide? If if we can ensure security requirements are being met, um, you know, that only the person um, that, that's that CJA certified is doing that, uh, and it can be all documented and audit trailed. Is that something that they'd be willing to change? And I know it's too soon now to be talking about that, but it'll be interesting to see some of the changes that come into play there. They said we could put in a request, um, but that would take, we'll be out of the pandemic before that request would come back. It's something we might want to take a look at and, and putting it in after the fact and just see how far we can get. But I think there's going to be a lot of things that are going to change in the industry just because of this. And, and one of them, is what exactly do dispatchers do? Yeah. The, the yeah. role of the dispatchers fast changing also. Some of the other technology challenges we had was what happens if the Internet connection gets dropped or the firewall kicks in and, and drops the call? Um, the systems are designed to pass it to another call taker, but we really didn't know if that was going to happen in the field. So when we did our field testing, that's one of the things that we did was to trip the firewall and watch the call see that the test call we had on there was actually going to go there and it did so i was very happy to see that it worked as planned 
it's always good whenever you're running those tests and you know you know what you want the outcome to be whenever it actually happens though that's always a that, that's always a positive at the end whenever you whenever you get the result that you're hoping for for sure but no that you know it, it's very interesting how this is going so uh, let's in keeping with the phase two let's talk a little bit about the the people that are at their house I mean you know I, I've been working out of my home here uh, for the last 17 years, uh, you know, in the private sector and on the vendor side. So for me, it's pretty commonplace, right? I mean, I had, uh, you know, my two kids, you know, summer times were always a little bit of a challenge because they were home from school. Uh, you know, I, we joked a little bit uh, in, in a previous conversation about, you know, the dog comes in occasionally and the next thing you know, you've got a dog barking or panting in the background. So there's always those home office things that occur. What, you know, Renee, what kind of uh, what kind of response are you guys getting from your from your personnel being able to work out of their home? Are they finding it challenging? Are they finding it nice? I mean, is it is it is it working well for them? Anything there? They absolutely love it, and and we put some rules in place. You know, no no children in the background, no barking dogs in the background, and and we and if you couldn't do that, then we could take the phone and move it to the next person. But we did a lot of testing. We tested mm-hmm. our non-emergency calls for at least a month before we even thought about the 911 calls. It's just scary thinking about the 911 calls from a location other than your your communication center. Yeah. But um, we tested it in the center for um, hours and hours and hours until we felt confident that it was okay. Are you, are you having any type of, of, do you have any, uh, any tools in place to keep them, um, uh, connected? So, you know, one of the, one of the conversations we've had is how command and control could get lost if you have individuals sitting, you know, all by themselves in a house. But if I'm a 911 operator and I'm taking a, a hot call, let's say, and, and I've got, you know, information that I'm putting into the system, uh, and people are responding to, there's always that, you know, you think about your time when you were sitting in the dispatch center. There's always that time when you hit your mute button and look over and say, hey, tell the officer, blah, 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 whatever. Do you guys have any other types of tools? Or are you finding any challenges with those types of events? Yeah, so um, going back to FirstNet, we set up um, a talk group in, in FirstNet for both um, the 911 side and the 311 side. So it's it's almost like the the old push-to-talk um and that's what it is. We we just get on the phone and we talk to each other and everyone hears it. It's almost like being in the center. Nice. Nice. Any any video cameras, uh any type of uh visual you guys are pushing around from home offices? Uh not yet because we've had such um success and their call numbers are very high. And so I, I think that was one of the things that we looked at is that if they weren't gonna keep up with the call volume then they might not be a good candidate for it. But um, the people that are out there are doing very, very well. They love it. We love it. We've had we've had guests on this uh, podcast in in previous recordings that we've released, and you know one of the interesting comments that came up was agencies all across the USA are spending millions of dollars on backup centers and having all of this infrastructure put in just in case. And now with this COVID ev- epidemic. You know, here we are, our pandemic, I should say. Now here, all of a sudden, we're utilizing home uh, locations where we can put individuals at a house. And it is interesting to see how that's going to change. And I, and I keep talking about, you know, where we're going to end up in the future because I think that's important. I see 
and, and, and can envision agencies deciding, you know what, we're going to have a backup center for our, our technology, but, you know, when it comes to, you know, hardware, software, uh, desktops, that type of thing, utilizing these home offices uh, in, in that type could be, a, could be an option for, for agencies. Well, if you think about it, we've had these phones for a long time already. Um, before we upgraded our phone system, we had these same phones um, with our previous phone system, but we never used we never used them. So now we have the opportunity to use them. So how far can we push technology now that we've caught up to our own our own selves? So it's been there. Yep. We just haven't used it. And so now that we're starting to use it, we need to push the vendors for more. Push for more. You know what? I completely agree. And I think that that's where, you know, at least on the vendor side, that's what we're hearing from, from who we're talking with is, you know, so here's, here's what we need and here's, here's how we need to go. You know, and I've talked about this before, uh, historically, and this goes back to, you know, to the early nineties. Everything was a big server set up in one room and then a client set up in, in, in an adjoining room and, you know, problems of running network cables and making sure that everything was connected and syncing because it had to be live connections. You know, all of those things is what we used to worry about. And now with the, with the technologies that are out there, to your point, Renee, you know, Vendors need to be pushed and we need to be pushed harder because going into a, a browser base to where now you've got the ability to pull this thing up on, you know, from anywhere, those types of, of technologies are going to be, are going to be needed because as we learn from this, uh, crisis and we start pre-planning for the next one, uh, I, I think it's going to be imperative that that's the type of technologies that's in there. It sounds like you guys had the forethought. To be able to have a lot of the technologies in place uh, that some agencies listening to this may not have been able to afford or may not have been able to, um, to, to look into getting at that point, whether it was due to their location or, um, you know, budget or whatever reason. And I, I'm starting to see a trend here that says some agencies that kind of had that forethought and, and kind of pre-planned, if you will, they're sitting in a pretty good spot right now to be able to react accordingly. Okay, one of the, the big things is, one, it's cheaper. It's cheaper in building a backup center and maintaining a backup center because there's a huge cost, there's a huge price ticket on there, and your return on investment just isn't there, mm-hmm. where this is much cheaper. And the other thing, too, is your backup center within can be a lightning strike, a fire, a tornado, and wipe out your backup center. Where this, you've got people um, using various technologies in multiple locations, and for us, we have them in a three-state area. So you, you're on whole different power grids. Um, your utilities are all different, and it's, it's a lot, a lot better. Yeah, right. It's a backup to the backup. I mean, if one, if one area gets hit, then, uh, you know, let, you know, cause here's the thing. The world's going to continue moving forward. There's still going to be storms. There's still going to be power outages unrelated to the COVID crisis. There's still going to be those it happens type of moments. And to your point, Bob, if I've got people spread out, if it hits one subdivision and it doesn't hit the other, I've, I've got a backup to that backup, if you will. And I've got enough to be able to cover it and then react accordingly. So we talked about the couple first two phases. So then you guys mentioned a phase three. So let's kind of go into that, uh, fate kind of, kind of, kind of that phase three area. What are some things that you guys are looking at? Does that kind of, 
kind of put the, the first two phases together and just kind of keep that rolling? Or is there something new and, and unique about phase three? Yeah, it kind of puts the two together and um, it keeps it rolling. But it also gives us the ability to continue to change as things get hotter. So phase three gives us the um, the, the shift in gears to either back it down or, or, or rev it up. And so we always want to think ahead and be prepared for what is th- phase three. Maybe look at what phase four could be mm-hmm. because everything is unknown. And so some of the other things that um, the hotel came up. And so the hotel is actually part of phase three. And um, okay. yeah, so, um, you know, now we're thinking about, well, if we have to go to phase four, what is phase four? And um, I, I just don't don't think that we'll ever get past phase three because it's moving so well for us. And it may not work the same for every jurisdiction, but this one is working for us. It sounds like you what, what, what phase three kind of pulls in there is a little bit of fluidity, right? It allows you guys to, to put the, to put the infrastructure into place. Uh, and then depending on the, you know, the success or any risk or anything that you're learning in those first two phases, phase three allows you then to react accordingly and, and maybe do a little bit of a sidestep if need be or to this, to your point, add in the hotels and utilize hotels to be able to place people. That's a, uh, and, and, and it's, it's great to hear that because so often, as you guys know, we live in a black and white world, right? It's either this or that, and we write a policy for it, and then that's the way it's going to be. And in this type of environment, you really got to be able to, to kind of ebb and flow, if you will, and be able to um, to continue moving forward and, and, Renee, saying it your words, pushing that envelope and kind of getting better out of what you've got. Yeah, Absolutely. I was just asked this morning, well, um, what's the next phase? And I, my my, my uh, response was, actually, I've never been in a pandemic before. So it's going to take all of us to come up with what's next. What's your um, what's the other entity saying about it? So you've got police, fire, EMS, you know, you've got a lot of other agencies around there. What's been their reaction to what you guys are doing with these uh, different phases here? Well, I think they, they realize that the things that we're doing, um, it's, it's for them. So between 311 and 911, we touch every department in the city. And um, it's important for us to make sure that we can provide our level of service to them so that they can do their, their jobs. And I think us thinking ahead um, has helped them to feel good about it. That's good. So it sounds like you guys are getting some some good results. You're doing some really cool things. Well, as we kind of wrap up here, you know, I want to give you both just a little bit of a chance. You know, are there anything that uh, that you guys have had on a whiteboard or any ideas that you guys have had, but unfortunately you're not able to do it? Has there been any any kind of things that said, man, if, if only we could do this, this is where we could take this? Is there any kind of lessons learned, if you will? Bob, go ahead. The big lesson that we've learned, especially my IT team, is that nothing's impossible. If we just Mm -hmm. work on it, we can make it work. And everything so far that has been a roadblock for us, we've been able to to figure it out. And now to share that experience is what we're going to do next. I really want to push the vendors um, because um, there's, um, there's so much possibility out there. 
Um, there's cloud-based solutions now. And if on our part, if we're not afraid to test the waters and say um, we can do this, um, then we can work together as a team, us and the vendors. I like that thought. And, you know, coming from the vendor side, I can tell you that I think we're looking forward to that type of conversation. It's sitting down and having conversations like this with agencies like Alexandria to really be able to understand, you know, where what kind of -of out-of-the-box thinking can we start doing and what type of areas in emergency services should we start leaning to. Because I think what this is uh, once again has taught us is that, you know, just about the time we think we got it figured out, something definitely comes in and falls on our plate, and it always becomes uh, the next challenge. And, and I think continually moving forward is, is what public safety does best. Um, you know, we've seen it in other in- industries. You, you talked about cloud computing. We've seen that all across, uh, all across the world, right? I mean, you know, our financial system all up in the cloud, and some really key areas uh, are being uh, hosted and worked very well in that in that regard. And some of the pushback that uh, we as emergency services may have had to, you know, no, 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 this is the way we do it, this is the way we have to have it done, you know, this this COVID pandemic could be changing some of that, and I, and I look forward to that challenge, and I look forward to working with agencies like yourself as, as we move forward. So, guys, you guys are doing some great things there in Alexandria. I know you guys are busy people, and you got to get back to your uh, your real jobs. I really uh, look forward to this conversation, man. You guys didn't let me down. This was this was really cool and innovative. Some good stuff that that's going on over there. I wish you both uh, the best. Uh, stay healthy. Uh, and, and just really a big thank you to both Renee and Bob for joining us here. To hear additional episodes or learn more, visit us at hxgnspotlight.com, and thanks for tuning in. <laughs>